0: Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascareñas and this is our Wednesday show where we niche down to a single person, think about their work and unpack the rest. Today we're talking to Sarah O, oh, the co-founder of T2, a Twitter rival and the former human rights advisor at Twitter. So you can probably tell why I'm so excited to have her on the show. She has spent her career helping companies launch new programs focused on responsible growth, equitable partnerships, and social impact, aka all the nuance we care about. And if you ask her friends to introduce her at a party, she is often called the trust and safety person. Sarah Oh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I just realized that rhymed. Sarah Oh, welcome to the show. I feel like this means you have to have a podcast. (laughs) Well, are you a podcast person? I love listening to podcasts. I'll leave podcasting to experts like you. (laughs) I mean, it was weird and I can say this now because it's been a few years since I've been on Equity, but I actually didn't listen to podcasts until I was on the show. And then I was like, what do people do? Like, how are you supposed to talk on here? It just felt easier to not know how good other podcasts sound <laughs> and just to learn as I go. Thank you so much for joining the show. I mean, I know we talked a little bit about what we want to get into, but for all the listeners... Catching up, we're going to talk about Sarah's background, the role of trust and safety, going from Twitter to building a Twitter rival, and then also just this idea of trying to capitalize on this idea of safety and stability from day one when building a social media platform. If we have time, we'll get into how generative AI and complement-oriented apps fit into trust and safety, because why not? But Sarah, I really want to start with this idea of you being a very seasoned tech entrepreneur, but actually starting outside of tech to begin with. So let's start there. Tell us about kind of the beginning of your career in this world. Sure. Yeah.
1: I mean, I've been working in the industry for the last several years, helping companies build and grow responsibly, but... A lot of my work in the first you know, decade of my career has really been focused on violence prevention and social cohesion, talking to groups about when they feel safe or not safe and triggers for potential conflict. And I've carried that work into tech. And so it's really largely by accident that I feel like I'm talking to product managers about new product features and doing user research on new tech products that are going out.
0: I think you mentioned that you had spent time in the international development world, and I would love for you to kind of paint a picture on what that even looked like or the conversations you were having. When I hear violence prevention, I think it can mean so many things. So yeah, tell me more about that time.
1: Yeah. I mean, most recently, I guess, before I moved to the Valley, I moved to Myanmar. The country was just coming online. This is a country in Southeast Asia that borders India and and Thailand. And I was trying to understand what the biggest issues were on the ground. And as the country was coming online, it was very quickly about not only how people were using tech to organize and build new structures in society, but also staying safe from a lot of the abuse that existed, not just online, but in society. And so I quickly learned there was a lot of content on platforms like Facebook, which was the dominant platform at the time when I was there, that was really problematic, that caused a lot of fear and insecurity and tension. And that really led me down a path to try to understand how to fix that problem.
0: I always wonder like how someone realizes that they're good at something that feels so big and overpowering and frankly intimidating to work on something like mining these platforms for content that might be violent, dangerous or inspire violence and danger. And was there any like aha moment there that that you can share on just realizing this is like an area that you're good at, for lack of better phrasing? Such an interesting question. I mean, I think it felt so
1: basic to me. I just needed to talk to a lot of different people. And I've always been interested in talking to people who are like me, who are different from me, who have different opinions. And so my first year in Yangon was really talking to people about their experience with tech. Sometimes it's a very scary conversation to have because it gets into who you are or your identity or who you might be afraid of. But uh, for me, it was, yeah, I guess I'm realizing now it was just a very fundamental thing that has always been important to me, figuring out how to talk to people about important things. And in the particular context I've worked in, including in Myanmar, some of the stuff is really hard to talk about. It's really hard to talk about things like abuse and harassment and being scared online, but let alone, right, in, in the community that you live in, how you feel about your neighbor. And so those skills, I feel like I honed in on in all the research that I've done in the NGOs that I've worked at, and I use them every day in the work that I do in tech.
0: That's great. And I want to hear kind of how you go from working at an NGO to your first day at Facebook. Now, Meta, you were a program manager lead for strategic response, which basically... You led our crisis response team focused on human rights and international integrity. What about your experience kind of blended with tech versus what kind of contrast and what surprised you?
1: Yeah, it's it's related. It was problem solving. Yeah,
0: I was recruited to help a lot of different teams
1: understand what was happening on the platform in an environment that I would argue many people weren't very familiar with. Right. Like a newly connected country, lots of rich history really high levels of of social conflict in certain cases. And now we know in a very big way, very dangerous to society. And that's kind of how I would distill it. I went in with a lot of questions, with a lot of curiosity, and used all my tools in talking to people about challenging topics to come up with both like a deep mapping of what was happening and then a process for consulting people about what we should do about some of these problems. So the first thing that I learned with a team of people was that we weren't detecting a lot of content in Burmese, in Myanmar, which meant all the beautiful AI models, all the like really robust systems that were designed to pick up something that might be bad or problematic weren't working at full capacity. And so that led me down a number of different paths to try to understand, okay, why is this not being detected? What should we start detecting first? How do we know if it's good enough? And who do we need to pull in to really address that problem at scale?
0: And I imagine like at that point, you were this person that's working with all these different teams at a company, whether it's the product team or even kind of the comms team and marketing team. Was there a certain part of the organization that you found yourself overlapping more? Just like, yeah, helping me place you within the org chart. I think that was part
1: of the innovation. I had the opportunity to shape that. And I think that was, in hindsight, something that was really important at the time for me to be successful at solving that problem. And I've honestly, frankly, seen a lot of within the industry, a lot of companies be a little bit more agile and thinking about having teams that aren't super siloed in product or super siloed in policy or legal or operations. You kind of need A holistic bird's eye view when a problem kind of is not clearly defined, cross-cutting, a little ambiguous, and so I had the benefit of having a bit of a bird's eye view in that role.
0: I want to talk more about kind of the the siloed trust and safety team because after two years at Facebook, you joined Twitter, and that's where you took on this role of being a human rights advisor. I was doing more research on the trust and safety council at Twitter, and I learned that the group was formed in twenty sixteen was like over 100 people and was working on, obviously, your love language of human rights-related issues. Did that team feel separate or did that team feel like the start of tech caring about this in a more, I guess, dedicated way? I'll tell
1: you my experience of it, which is I tried to bring the same bird's-eye-view mindset to that work. And my job really was to identify some of the biggest risks that I thought were facing the company from a human rights perspective, and then again, trying to articulate what the problem was and what we thought should be done about it. I will say, I think the approach that we took was maybe not the traditional approach that like a risk team or a crisis team, or even maybe a traditional human rights team that a company might take. One of my favorite projects and most meaningful projects that I had the opportunity to work on involved, for example, working really closely with a product research team, where we were really trying to understand the experience of users on the platform and feed that into recommendations that would ultimately impact product roadmaps, right? That's very different from, say, like a traditional risk team that might do some consultations, and then make recommendations so that the company is in more compliance with a law or some sort of standard. So I would say I was, I was really excited to be really in the trenches with product teams. But to your point, like that's not enough, right? You also have to talk to operations. You also have to talk to policy teams who are setting the rules. This particular project was focused on the experience of women journalists. And so you can imagine, even if you have the best new feature that does the thing that everyone wants, you're going to need guidelines and then enforcement and people actually proactively trying to help ensure that enforcement decisions are done consistently. So I increasingly think about this work as being much more holistic than I think I've seen it be done within big companies in the past
0: super interesting and there's so much to talk about about the harassment and targeted hate that women journalists unfortunately experience on Twitter and social media platforms and I think the average person when they hear trust and safety they think okay this person is gonna make sure that if someone is trying to dox me those tweets will get deleted or it'll be easier to help block spam and hate at large it sounds like it was a little more complicated than that like you said more holistic what else are people missing when they think about trust and safety and kind of like the role you had? I love that question. I did a little bit of
1: research once when people started calling me the trust and safety person. At its origin, it was the most simple idea of hearing the user on the other side. Like These really early message boards where people would just message in or email a support box and just say, hey, I'm having this problem or "Like this thing is going on. That's, to me, the essence of of this work is learning from the person on the other side of this product or service. Uh, Something about their experience that you need to know about either to take some action on or address. Somehow that has become really, really, really challenging. I mean, take reporting. This is a classic challenge that I hear about from all the different communities that I've had the opportunity to learn from over the last several years. In a lot of cases, most people feel like reporting doesn't work. And so this idea of just getting your experience across to the people who need to know about it has suddenly become so challenging, so complicated, so hard. And so I think people don't realize sometimes how hard it is to get that signal from users or to understand what someone might be going through. And of course, if you're on the other end of it, you're so frustrated. You're having a terrible experience. It's unthinkable that It's not known or worse, like not being acted on. Right. And so I would say like the outcome of all this is that you have a pretty low trust environment to have a lot of these conversations. And I think there's so much work to be done to start hearing users better and more efficiently and then rebuilding that trust.
0: Well said. I think you were at Twitter and you know this better than me that like a lot of the conversations and this was before Elon Musk was even in the picture was the frustration around blocking Donald Trump. And I'm sure that that was something that took up time on your plate, as well as just people at Twitter who are focused on like legal and policy. And I guess I just wondered, like looking back now that you're no longer at Twitter, what working at a company so central to like public conversation and really like the heartbeat did to your understanding of this career path and just like even how tech thinks about this career path? I know that's a big question, but I just feel like Twitter is so synonymous with a lot of the things that you're working on, too. I love that question. I and this is beyond just Twitter, but I
1: think the biggest lesson that anyone who works on the other side might take home or certainly was the case for me is just how consequential and important these policy decisions are and can be. I came from an extreme environment where one platform really did feel like it dominated an entire society's perspective on any topic. It was so integral to an entire country's culture and public conversations.
0: I think people forget that's a thing. Yeah. That that it can just be one. It can be as simple as one. Yeah.
1: I remember someone asked me, I was preparing for like a major protest event in Asia in one of my former roles. And they were like, why does a company based in Menlo Park care about that? Like, that's ridiculous. I had to work on a Sunday and they were like, I don't understand why this is like, isn't that overkill? And I was like... I don't think you understand, like this is really important. And I'm happy now to see, for example, the NGOs that I used to work with now have infrastructure to engage with companies. Like there's tons of consortiums and there's tons of partnerships that have been born. You might be more familiar with some of the partnership discussions that happen around say elections, for example. But I think that's just a testament to how important some of these policy decisions and enforcement decisions are to a lot of people.
0: I think that's the hard part about part of where we are today, which is, from my understanding, you were part of the sweeping layoffs and changes that happened at Twitter. It impacted the trust and safety team immensely. And I think just earlier, you mentioned how Twitter was operating at this different, more holistic level with trust and safety. To see that team You know, your team largely be impacted. I was just wondering what you could tell me about that moment, just as much as you're comfortable with, even.
1: In many ways, I feel like myself and many people still are in the wake of a lot of these big changes that have been happening. I think it's the most important part of a company, certainly a social media company today, how you're thinking about safety, how you're thinking about the well-being of not only individual users, but also the impact on society. And For me, that's the most important pillar of building a responsible company. And so you can imagine having that be wiped out or implicated or even moved farther down on the list in any situation really feels short-sighted and it's a huge loss.
0: It's like the headline kind of speaks for itself in a lot of ways. It's not a huge stretch to see how a trust and safety team being impacted impacts trust and safety on a platform. At the same time, like, can we go as far to say that Twitter isn't as safe as it used to be? I know that there was a lot of conversations around people leaving. I'm struggling with this, too, because I haven't found an alternative. We'll get to your alternative soon. But I'm sure people listening are thinking about this and are like, should I be getting off Twitter? Is this not good just for my mental health, but also like my safety? What do you say to those people? Because I'm sure even your friends or your colleagues or you yourself are thinking about how Twitter should be part of their life today.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of I hear a lot of people talking about the Twitter that first captivated millions of users a decade ago by offering a place for real conversations, simple tools. And that's really been my motivation and my entry point into this conversation is trying to think about and reimagine what going back to you know, people always talk about the public square, but a place that's like simple, elegant, hospitable, sustainable. There's so much to love about early Twitter. And that I think that was true across a lot of different communities. And that's really what I think there's an enormous sense of loss and grief around. But, you know, I'm, I'm biased, but like I'm excited and really dedicated to the idea of trying to be part of a movement to bring that experience back.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. So you are the co-founder of T2, like I said, and you are trying to recreate the internet's public square with a commitment to safety and civility from day one. So I totally see where you fit in there. I first heard about T2 when I was actually following Gabor's tweets on just like kind of live reacting to that moment of Twitter falling apart. And I have to know, were you watching those tweets as well being like, I think this guy is onto something? How did you even get introduced to T2? (laughs) I got the
1: IRL version of those tweets. No, oh, I, I, every time I would see Gabor, he would be sharing a new snippet, and I love the building out in the open approach. And yeah, it's infectious, right? I like to park back to our earlier conversation, I was nostalgic for early Twitter, and when I started hearing about his ideas for how he might recreate that or build a team to recreate that. It was it was so compelling.
0: And I'm sure a part of you was like, okay, I'm leaving this storm of a company. Do I immediately join a rival? Do I go somewhere else? Like, how did you know that it made sense to join T2 beyond the principles, just like even like the faith that you had in joining a Twitter rival? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I have spent so much time on the very, very, very downstream side of problems. You know, thinking about what happens when A viral piece of content leads to a mob outbreak, some of the harassment and safety abuses that I worked on. It was always my dream to work upstream. If you had told me, I actually, a friend told me recently that I told him once that if there was ever a moment where I could work on trust and safety and have it be a core part of the value proposition of a company, I would would do it in a heartbeat. And so when that opportunity came up, I didn't have to think twice about it.
0: Yeah, like here it is. What can you tell us about what T2 looks like and feels like today? From my understanding, it wants to be really similar. To the good parts of Twitter, but it is also in this very early stage closed alpha. I mean, you can check it out on T2.social. You
1: can see a logged out version of the homepage. You're exactly right. Like we're focusing on the fundamentals. You're not going to see anything that perhaps you haven't really seen before. But I will say just again to call out, we are hoping to innovate in one really big way by having trust and safety be a defining pillar of the platform from the very, very, very beginning. Right now, we're just focused on building the space out. So I love architecture and we've been talking a lot about T2 potentially as a physical space or we think about it like a physical space. So, you know, in any space, first you have the architects and and the masons come. And if you don't have stability or functionality, it's really not going to last and hold up. So that's really where we are right now at the kind of a ground level building brick by brick very quickly and early because of a lot of the reasons we just talked about. We really want to establish safety measures, good lighting, right? Access to help. We want to cultivate stewardship. There's so much that we've learned from all this great social science research that now exists that didn't exist, you know, five to 10 years ago about how to set good norms and set up rules, pick up trash. You know, I could keep going on with this
0: metaphor. (laughs) I love it. Well, my immediate question was like, okay, what does good lighting look like in a product sense? I mean, I think
1: providing a really clear idea of what the rules are is really important to us. I know from the past that sometimes people don't know what what is acceptable and what's not, or when they can report something or not. So I think from a very early point in time, making that super clear and upfront and then showing that the community doesn't tolerate certain types of behavior or that certain types of content will be acted on is really important to get right from the beginning.
0: I'm gonna ask a question that I'm sure is on everyone's mind, which is like so many companies have launched maybe not as explicitly as T2, to be fair, but telling them that things are going to be different this time. Like we're going to focus on having clearer guidelines. I think about even Clubhouse and kind of like the hope around Clubhouse when it first started. And is there anything you can share that I guess like helps people trust your focus on trust and safety? Because I think there's a lot of like Broken promises and trust issues. Oh my God, how many times can I say trust in one question? <laughs> in, in this world, what do you think is going to be different?
1: That's such a great question. And really, it'll be up to our users and community to be the ultimate arbiter of, of where we fall on that. But I will say we're investing a lot in processes up front. So, for example, the biggest thing that I've learned... in in the work that I've done is how important it is to consult communities that are impacted by things like certain policies. There's a lot that we know about gaps in trust and safety in the industry, whether it's data sets that we need or models that need to be built or certain standards that need to exist for models, right? There's a whole laundry list of things that I wish I had in my previous roles that just didn't exist. We're now at a place where we can have those conversations and we will be at T2 be building those and integrating those into how we build out our content governance systems, our enforcement processes, all the tooling, right? It's like the most unsexy thing ever, but I get
0: so excited talking about. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm sure it's a huge change to, you tell me, from working at a big company, which I assume takes longer to make decisions at. A very small startup? Like, what are capabilities you can do at T2 that you could have never dreamed to do at Twitter or Meta? Well,
1: you can move very fast. You can move incredibly fast. So, if there's alignment on, hey, we need this tool to have a great UI and be easy to use and scalable, I'm now in a position to actually build a roadmap around something like that. And so, I think the ability to move quickly. And now based on learnings, right, for a lot of this work, I I have to say, just to kind of be fair and a little bit nuanced, there just weren't historical case studies or precedents for there's been a lot of discussion in my space, for example, about virality and like bad viral things. We now have a lot of examples that we can refer back to. What if that happens again? What would be our. So I, I guess that's the benefit of being a latecomer to this space. I feel like I can move a lot more quickly and we have a little bit more evidence to to go off of and build off of.
0: I don't wanna leak your ideas before they are like fully part of the product. At the same time, I am curious, like if we were daring to dream or if you were even trying to convince users what T2 could look like in the future. I guess I'm just wondering like if we assume that other companies are at a moderation What does moderation 4.0 look like? What is the ambition that T2 has one day in addressing, let's pick an example, like a viral piece of content that goes bad? Is it deleting it or is it something else? I mean, I would
1: challenge us to think way more holistically about that problem.
0: Again, trust and safety used to be
1: a pillar, a specific thing that a specific team would focus on and kind of come up with maybe a single roadmap for, right? This is the trust and safety plan. We're excited to challenge that notion in thinking about every single product feature, every single thing that might be on T2 as a potential trust and safety feature. And so suddenly, right, everything has the potential to contribute to a higher quality conversation, a higher quality experience, or detract from that. And you can think about all the signals that there might be that we could learn from. So I, for me, like trust and safety 3.0 is really what could be achieved by thinking about something like trust and safety, holistically and wholly integrated with the product development process.
0: As an outsider, I'm like even overwhelmed with how much that could open up. Even as a daily Twitter user, I still think about, yeah, like if my tweet goes viral, what are ways that I can like really protect myself? And maybe that boils down to even there being like a type of retweet button that looks different than the one we have today. So I'm very excited to see what you guys come up with. We are too. (laughs) Yeah. And there's lots of great examples in the industry. People are experimenting
1: with that, right? There are things now some platforms have to address exactly what you're talking about.
0: Before we jump into some of the other trends I've been thinking about and wanted to get your take on, one thing has been bugging me, which is does Twitter care that you're building a Twitter rival? I mean, T2, obviously a little on the nose with the name. Is that all an issue or is it just like all is fair in love and moderation? (laughs) I mean, we're just so focused on building a great product
1: and reaching out to our community that we're, yeah, we kind of have a laser focused
0: roadmap on us. Unbothered is what it sounds like. Yeah. You come back to us on that (laughs) one. But
1: yeah, right now we're just so focused on on getting our product out there. And
0: is there any timeline around public access or even a final name? I love T2, by the way, whatever that vote counts for. But I don't know if that's going to stick because it sounds like there's another one coming. No, that's the constant
1: tension, right? Wanting to get things in a place where we feel good about it, but also being excited to let people in and get a sneak peek. And this idea of building with our community is really important. So getting early feedback is important. So we're really, really hopeful that we'll be able to slowly let people on soon. But again, like we want to be deliberate. We want to start small. Uh, we want to get it right and and be responsible. So it may be a little bit more time before we open the gates wide and I forget the second part of your question. Name. Name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Hopefully we have some more information on that soon.
0: Okay. Okay. Perfect. (laughs) Well, I will definitely be following up with you on that. But speaking of responsibility and just things, perhaps scaling too fast, the big conversation around generative AI is one I did not want you to leave the pod without talking about because there's responsible AI, which I imagine is part of your world. How are you thinking about just like, The conversations around chat GPT and even like if that's something you're thinking about with building T2.
1: Yeah, of course. It's like hard to have a conversation without talking about this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I love that you mentioned responsible AI because there's so much great work that ethicists and technologists and a lot of you know people who have nothing to do with technology have done already in the responsible AI space. So I continue to learn so much from those conversations and think there's really, really good roadmaps. But yeah, again, like we're dreamers. We are working on the basics. But of course, we think AI will have a big role, not just on the big platforms, but for us maybe to generate content. I do think it's important we do that responsibly. So for example, if there was any AI generated content, we'd want to do things like market as such so that people know. You could imagine there's probably a really interesting way to integrate it to summarize what's on your feed. So you might be able to Get that feeling of feeling caught up on your feed without having to go into each post and, you know, from a safety perspective, engage with what might be content that might not feel good to engage with in depth. So I think there's a lot of potential. We're really excited to explore And hope that's a conversation we can continue to have and be a part of.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's end on potential and just the general vibe check, as my colleague likes to talk about, on just all these consumer social apps also coming into the fray right now, whether it's a competitor to you guys or just, you know, gas got acquired by Discord just days ago. What's your take on just seeing this new wave of consumer social apps? Does it feel like an optimistic time? Does it feel like a reckless time? I don't know how to make sense of it. I think that's a good way to put it, right? So much is happening at the same time in
1: this industry. We're just excited to be in this space. You know, it feels like a gift to be able to think about these questions every day. You know, how, how can we create this experience for users? What do they need? How do we do things differently? How do we innovate on some of the basics? So I feel so excited and so nourished by a lot of this work right now. And I'm glad that there's a lot of momentum, velocity, and feels like a wider conversation around what this could look and feel
0: like. I'm so glad, like I said before, that the show gets to have you because it's clearly never been a more important time to be talking about these things and clearly your job role and you are needed more than ever before. So thank you again for joining Equity. I always like to end with lightning round questions and I always struggle to not respond to them. But because it's a lightning round, I'm going to just be quiet after I ask my questions. So are you ready to jump into the first one? I'm ready. Okay, perfect. Number one, if you weren't a co-founder, what would you want to be? A marine biologist.
1: I love whales and just went on a trip where I saw a whale breach and jump out of the sky. And I was like, why am I not doing this every day of the year? (laughs) (laughs) What a
0: way to start 2023. That is amazing. I guess next question is, what do you want to see change in 2023's tech landscape? I mean, I'm a broken record on this. I'd love to see more
1: nuanced conversations about the things that we need, the gaps that we have, not being straight out of the gate to have an opinion on whether an issue is X or Y. I'd love to see us have more non-binary conversations about some of the most important issues in tech policy.
0: What is the worst advice you've ever gotten? This can be personal or professional or both. We've been
1: going before we're ready and for a long time you know i've I, I was once told do more prep be more prepared wait a little and i think yeah.
0: that has been terrible advice yeah i have so much to say there but i'll shut up i'll end <laughs> on a positive note and i'll say what is the best advice that you've ever gotten work with good people
1: follow people and um i've i feel like that has continued to lead me to good places.
0: Hell yeah. Thank you again, Sarah, for joining the pod. Tell people where they can follow you and your work and everything that they want to hear now about T2. Amazing.
1: Our website is T2.social. For anyone who's interested in taking T2 for a whirl, you can sign up on our wait list. And I'm at Sarah on the platform, and so I'll be posting updates there.
0: Awesome, all right, well, I will chat with you soon. Thanks again for stopping by the show, and everyone else, we will chat on Friday. This news week is already looking to be super busy, so get prepared. Equity Wednesdays are hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter, Natasha Mascarenas. We're produced by Teresa Locansolo with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development. And Henry Picovet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next week.